Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. You know, Sid, there's certain constants in life that you tend to depend on. Consonants? Like in the alphabet? Yeah, like Q and... S, I like that one. S is a good one. A lot of S's out there. Have you been yeah. seeing this? A lot All of S's. S's. Yeah. Like, no. Constants that you depend on. Things mm-hmm. in the university, you know, the sun... Rises in the east and sets in the west, etc. Like Desmond. Like Desmond, you're constant. Yes, exactly. Lost humor. Mm-hmm. Just a There's somebody out there who appreciated that. Um, but there are one, two people who are loving this right now. But uh, in medicine, which is always evolving, there's there's constants, re, constants you rely on. and uh, But recently, one of those has been upended, you were telling me. Yes, that's true. You, you've probably seen, there's been a lot of articles in the news recently that we have certain things that we always know to be true about the human body. There's so much we don't know. And we talk about that a lot on the show that there's, there's so many things that we still sort of understand, but not really, Mm -hmm. but we have relied on the fact that the inside of your mouth is a steamy 98.6 degrees. What commercial is that from? (laughs) Like a gum one? Probably. (laughs) Anyway, we have relied on the idea that the, that that is the human body temperature, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees Celsius, in case you're a fan of Celsius. I always remember it with the band 98 degrees and six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So 98 degrees you and can't just six remember. degrees and then 98.6. That's the, the mm-hmm. ones together. Uh, or 37. Okay, here she goes, <laughs> folks. First she wants to socialize medicine and now she wants to bring metric into it. I don't think I'm alone in that, but we've always relied on that being true. And, and from that stems a lot of like, what, what, when is your temperature too low and when is your temperature too high and what is a fever? And now here, the, the, all these articles are out there that are calling that into question. Mm. And so we've had a lot of people uh, tweeting and posting on our Facebook page and um, emailing to ask, is this true? What do we do? How do we react? Everything is so frightening right now. It's sure. 2020. It's trying time. We cannot rely on anything anymore. Um, what do we do? Even in the some of the doctor groups I'm in, there's been like, there's been a lot of upheaval. What do we do with this information? Well, you How do we get, interpret it? Either that or talk about sports. So I'm assuming there's kind of default to the. We usually 
talk about doctor stuff. But, yeah, I assumed. Okay. Sure. Uh, thank you to Annie and Erica and Jordan and Lena for emailing about it. I know a lot of other people have, have tweeted and such, uh, but those are, I always check the emails. That's where I get the, in case I don't thank you for a tweet. That's why. Anyway, uh, we have discussed. No, by the way, that email is sawbones at maximumfun.org. We don't say it a lot. That's that, true. We that's should what say it is. We should say it more. We have talked about fevers before. We've done a whole episode on fevers and what they mean, what their use is, what they could, what their purpose could be in the in the human body, and then the the use of a fever as medicine. But we've never really dove into where did we come up? How how do we have a body? Why do we know what our body temperature should be? Where did we get that information? Who figured that out the first time and wrote that down? And why has that become such a kind of a law mm-hmm. that it extends beyond medicine? It's just like common knowledge right uh and of course in addition if things are changing what will that mean what does that mean for us uh so before we use thermometers before there were thermometers we measured temperature in in medicine anyway by well you know the way probably your parent has checked your temperature before up the butt what putting the thermometer up the butt right no this is before thermometers Oh, Justin. Oh, hand on the head then. Mm-hmm. Got it. I thought you meant before like digital because you can't put the digital ones in your butt. I don't think. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. What, how many, how long are we going to talk about rectal thermometers in this episode? I don't know. You're the first one to mention them. So if there's a scoreboard, it's Sydney <laughs> one, Justin zero. We we tend to measure temperature when we don't have a thermometer or before humans had them by touching someone and seeing if they feel hot, mm-hmm. uh, which is still the way my mother insists on doing it because sure. she refuses to own a thermometer. To own a thermometer, folks. We've brought them to their house and they just disappear. It's mm-hmm. wild. Because she can tell if she touches you, if you have a fever. She's a human thermometer. On a side note. We actually specifically in studies that have looked at uh, uh, maternal figures, maternal temperature measurement, we aren't terrible at this. Okay. Like humans aren't actually as bad as you'd think as telling if someone has a fever just from touching them. Um, There have been studies on this. Multiple studies throughout the decades, ever since the 50s, where we have largely based on the idea of a mom feeling a child and trying to tell if they're febrile or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they, they did a meta-analysis of 10 of the most well-done studies in 2008. It, was, it encompassed 3,694 children. And what they found is that the sensitivity of diagnosing a fever based on touch, based on, and again, a lot of these studies were a mom feeling their child to mm-hmm. see if they thought they had a fever, range from 70 to 97%. Um, what this, and when the, the, that's different, by the way, from the specificity, which was a lot wider, 19 to 90%. And let me break that down. What that means is that we are pretty good at ruling out a fever, I'll include myself as a maternal unit myself. Uh, We are pretty good, about 89% good at touching a kid and saying, no, there's not a fever here. But when it comes to ruling in a fever, is this indeed, does this kid have a fever? We're about 50-50. Okay. 
So I thought that was very interesting. Probably because of the range, right, between like febrile and uh, and normal, right? Yes. You can tell if it's above normal, but not necessarily febrile or not. Mm-hmm. And and also we we are pretty good at feeling a kid and going, nah, this 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 kid is not does not have a fever. So I thought that was pretty interesting that actually maternal touch is not completely, and I think you could extrapolate that to paternal touch or yeah, why parental touch or guardian study? touch. Yeah. Well, I, I these studies, uh, they date back to the 50s, and so I think a lot of them just... Makes sense. Yeah, focused on that relationship. But um, but certainly I think you could extrapolate in the, in the that 50s, to... it was illegal for dads to check their kids' temperatures. <laughs> you could probably extrapolate that not just to children, but to people touching... You know, to adults touching each other to see if they have fevers. But anyway, um, a thermometer is preferable, especially if you're trying to make like a big major, do I go to the ER or not kind of decision. Yeah, I, I'd say a thermometer is, is a better way to, to do that than touching someone's forehead, which if you're going to do it, use the back of your hand, please. That's the, you, you get a better, more accurate feel. Okay. But get a thermometer. <laughs> Just buy a thermometer, yeah. Uh, so the idea that we should use a device to measure temperature is obviously a very old one because it its uses expand far beyond medicine, right? Like that's mm-hmm. not the only time we need to measure the temperature of something is when it's a human body. There are lots of situations in which knowing the temperature of anything. I mean, candy making right there. There you go. Cooking meat. Good. Yes, important. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have well-cooked meat than uh, underdone candy, I guess. I'm certain there are many industrial examples that we, we, would, are, we would nod approvingly. Imagine <laughs> in this case we're <laughs> noting some of those that we're aware of. Uh, and the idea that you could maybe use the expansion and contraction of a substance as that relates to temperature in order to like define an amount of heat, right? Like something expanding and contracting when it's heated and cooled to tell you how hot or cold it is. Um, That idea dates back to ancient Greece. And you see throughout history, all these attempts by different scientists to try to construct something that would accurately do this every time and would give you precise results so that you could repeat it over and over. And this water is always this temperature, no matter how many times I dip this thermometer in it. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of these were made using water and air and you can find all different, I mean, like Galileo had a version of a thermometer of sort of thermoscope, really Uh, Santorio, Ferdinando de Medici. There are all these different scientists who, who created these devices, but they weren't standardized. There was no scale yet. Like, what did that amount of heat mean? There was no, there was no Fahrenheit yet to name it. (laughs) So it was like very hot, too hot, not hot enough. Yeah. So there was no scale. It wasn't standardized. And they mixed uh, because they were using like air and water in a lot of these devices. They actually uh, pressure would also influence the movement inside the devices. So it was both a barometer and what we would call probably a thermoscope. So they, these were not really great at measuring just temperature yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one that was made with brandy that solved for this a little bit. Hmm. But we still don't see uh, a more reliable thermometer until 1714 when Daniel Fahrenheit makes one using mercury. And that's when we start to see it's a device that can be used, you know, more uh, precisely. What are the odds, by the way? That a guy named Daniel Fahrenheit would make a thermometer. <laughs> that is wild. That goes to show you, folks, you never know. Well. Fate. I mean. Mystery. It's all out there. Well, I mean. Weird. 
In the years that followed, we're just going to let that go. In the years that followed, uh, physicians started using these devices in clinical practice, started to get the idea that we know that we already had the concept of a fever, right? Mm-hmm. And it took, and we talk about in the fever episode, it took us a long time to figure out that fever is a symptom and not a disease in and of itself. Um, and we, but we understood that it was associated with a disease state. Sure, right. And so we saw some utility in trying to accurately tell if someone's temperature was elevated or not. And so thermometers entered medical practice. Um, Borhov was the first one to use it regularly in clinical mm-hmm. practice. You may remember him. <laughs> Might I? Uh, of ruptured esophagus fame. Oh my, my, my. Borhov syndrome. That Borhov? Mm-hmm. When you your esophagus say. ruptures, that's what we call it. For that Borhov. I, these, they're... There are a handful of medical professionals who email me after things like this on our episodes that really appreciate it. You know who you are. These jokes are for you. <laughs> yes. I hope those emails come with free coupons to the asthma store. <laughs> anyway, they're the same ones that were very excited when I talked about ringer and the lactate ringers, lactated ringers. Anyway, it is important uh, to note that these thermometers were not easy to use. When we're talking about patients, it's one thing if you're dipping it into a vat of like candy that you're making, right? Mm -hmm. Like the candy, you don't have to ask it to hold still or anything. It's just there. You can kind of probably attach it to something. You don't have to hold it. Uh, But these these instruments could be up to a foot long. They were anywhere from like nine to 12 inches long. Mm -hmm. And they took about 20 minutes to register a temperature. Dang, that's a long time to hold your butt still. <laughs> and you had to, we were usually putting it under the arm, an axillary temperature. Okay. Uh, and that's you, less accurate, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, tends to measure lower. Uh, and you had to hold it, like I said, you had to hold it there for about 20 minutes and you had to read it in its position. Like you had to keep it. It wasn't like something where you could like take it out and look at it. As soon as you took it out, it would start to change. So you had to read it wherever Right in the armpit. Get right in there. It was just, I mean, it was a cumbersome device to use. I I feel like mercury thermometers, by the way, are the thing, one of the the things that like separate us from the current generation of young people. Like, I feel like if you had to, I I have such unpleasant memories of having to hold this gross glass (laughs) tube underneath my tongue for extended periods of time. Do they still Uh, sell them? Could I buy them on Amazon right now? I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. They haven't just completely done away with them? No. Uh, yeah, I guess you can. I guess you can yeah, still get you one. You can still get them. We don't, we, I, I have never used one um, like in a an kind office of or yeah. Yeah, hospital setting um, because now we just all use the various digital varieties. But uh, it, so. It looks like mercury is not as popular anymore. <laughs> Even the liquid and glass ones are, it looks like there's less, less mercury out there. Well, although most people aren't going to accidentally break them. You can. Sure. That was always my fear that I'd bite it in half mm -hmm. and drink a bunch of mercury. I do not think you were the only child that had that fear. (laughs) Okay, good. Good to know. (laughs) So these devices that I'm describing are the ones that Carl Reinhold August Wunderlich, I want to say. Probably the, I've listened to it. I think I'm saying it right. Okay. (laughs) Would use. It doesn't sound like you want to (laughs) say. It sounds like you don't want to say. It sounds like you want to call him Carl. I don't call him Dr. Carl. No, Wonderlick is what I would, in my American English, say. Uh, would use to conduct his uh, landmark study on what what is the temperature of a human? <laughs> what are what temperature are we? 
Uh, and and Dr. Wunderlich was a he was a German physician from the mid 1800s. And like I said, he wasn't the first one to use a thermometer in clinical practice, but he was one of the first ones to uh, say, well, I mean, this is cool. We can do this. But what do these numbers mean? We don't have any kind of standard. Like, what's the reference? Mm-hmm. Your temperature's 99. OK, next. What? You right. know, what, what do we, we do, with, do, that we do with that information? So he was the first one to put all that together. Uh, so. Some things about uh, this physician so that we kind of know what kind of what kind of fella he was. He practiced internal medicine and psychiatry, and he wrote in defense even before his kind of landmark work. The thing he is most well known for, I would say, is this temperature stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, Even before then, he wrote in defense of the scientific method a lot, which I mean, I like. Yeah, it's weird that he has to do that, but I guess those are the 1800s for you. At this point in medicine, it's really interesting. It was kind of a crossroads for the practice of medicine in terms of should we be uh, more philosophical in our approach to medicine, which is how doctors had practiced since the beginning of history, uh, and, and kind of like diseases and, and diagnoses and treatments should fit into these like high-minded kind of theoretical views about the human body and the human psyche and like our place on earth and all these things or art versus science right or should we just like study things figure out what works and do that mm-hmm. and he was a strong believer in introducing the scientific method to medical practice which does not sound like it should be revolutionary yeah right uh, but was yeah um and he he like i said wrote articles begging other doctors like could we do this science like science like could we be scientists please thank you um and one of the ways in which he sought to improve medicine as a science was by using you know standardized devices to measure and record things to observe and record that's part of scientific method right mm-hmm. so he used the thermometer to to standardize what our understanding of a normal human body temperature is in order for us to further define what an abnormal human body temperature is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did this by measuring lots and lots and lots of temperatures. Everybody's got a temperature. Everybody's got. That's true. Five minutes. Or 20, minutes. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Period. That's right. the thing. That's the thing you have to remember. So when he collected all this data that he would eventually publish, uh, he was using one of these. Um, there's one in the Mutter Museum. You hmm. can look at now if, if you are interested in Philadelphia. Um, they have one of his actual thermometers that he he used um obviously there were there was more than one this the one, yeah the one they have on display i think is like nine inches long but the the instruments could be anywhere from nine to twelve inches they would measure they would try to measure every patient twice a day like i said these were axillary so under the armpit temperatures and about 20 minutes a pop for these measurements taken uh while they were in position um so a cumbersome process to collect all this data uh, because he did this for about 25,000 patients. Wow. So a lot, a lot, a lot of data. Um, I mean, really, if you start thinking about for, for anyone out there who does like data analysis, statistical analysis, how many numbers he was compiling 
with paper and pen. I mean, that's that's wild. That's yeah. how he was doing this. He was just writing all this down. And so he collected all this data. And in 1868, he published his work on the subject uh, that literally translated from the German was the behavior of self heat and disease or when it was published in English on the temperature and diseases, a manual of medical thermometry. Um, and in in this landmark work published in 1868 he defined a normal human body temperature as 98.6 degrees fahrenheit or 37 degrees celsius uh and in addition he made some other you know there were a lot of observations about human temperature um this is the most well known but he also noted that our temperatures tend to be lower in the morning so like your body will hit its low between 2 and 8 a.m. and it will be higher in the evening. So sometime between 4 and 9 p.m. your body temperature is the highest. Generally speaking, he found that uh, women had higher body temperatures than men. He also thought that women's temperatures could fluctuate more readily. Mm. Uh, And old people tend to have lower temperatures than younger people. He also, within this work, defined a fever as a temperature of 100.4 Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius. This is how how old that definition is. I wonder how he did the second one. The first one makes sense. It's just averages. But the second one seems like you're kind of making a little bit more of a, Mm -hmm. I mean, your own sort of distinction there. It's a centigrade higher than normal. It makes more sense. It all, it's all so much easier to keep track of. If you, yeah. If you go with Celsius. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> Celsius is metric, right? I don't have that wrong, do I? No, that's metric. It's metric. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, it, it's so 37 is normal, 38 is a fever. That's according to Wunderlich and this study from 1868 that, uh, and this definition, as I said in the fever episode, exists today. This wow. is still what we are teaching, at, at, maybe at this very moment in medical schools across the country. Across the world, so 100.4 or 38, depending on where you are. So how did it all get messed up? Well, I want to I wanna dig into all this data to help us understand why this is in question. But before we do that, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
we have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got at two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. All right, so how, how did we continue to look at this data that is way older than I thought it would be? Yes. So there are obviously some issues that I've already kind of alluded to that you you may if you were if you are someone like me who every time I every time I read a study, I start trying to look for holes in it, <laughs> not because I'm a skeptic, but because I want to make sure that I can believe all the data that's being presented and the conclusions that are being presented and the stuff that is in there actually leads to the conclusions at the end of the paper. Right. Um, that's important to know. And uh, and there are some issues. First of all, of course, axillary temps are not... We, we The um, axilla taking a temperature under the armpit okay. is not the preferred method. So already my doctor mind was going, well, that's not the best way to take a temperature. But if, if I'm, if I'm doing this episode because there's data that shows perhaps the human body temperature is actually lower than we suspected, uh, then the axillary temperature should have been lower not higher right so already this this is thrown off a little bit um reading the device twice a day 20 minutes in place that i mean it was all very cumbersome to collect that data um but you would assume that twenty five thousand people that that would equal equalize with that many different you would assume now he did have a fairly large margin of error he felt that half a degree centigrade or 0.9 fahrenheit wiggle room considerable was allowed yes that is a considerable amount of wiggle room when we start talking about the like what we think that the human body temperature actually is i mean we're not talking about giant fluctuations um necessarily in terms of like sheer numbers it's the it's what does it mean that that's more compelling but uh but there's also as i as i said a statistical point to be made how do you analyze twenty five thousand patients worth of data without a computer hmm just hard to do the actual math. I mean, I'm not saying you can't. Of course, people did. Of course, people functioned before computers. Sure. But it's a lot harder to decide, uh, do I have a representative sample? Am I, am I making sure? I mean, he was checking both sick and healthy people randomly. 
How can he make sure that he got an even split of genders, that he got an even split of ages, that he got an even split of healthy and sick people of different times of day, of uh, different, you know, things like um, throughout a menstrual cycle that can influence temperature or pregnant or not pregnant or all these different things that can influence a body temperature. How do we know that he got an even split in a representative sample. Um, those are hard. That's hard analysis to do mm-hmm. with pencil and paper. And especially at this point in history. So all the, the ways that we analyze data when we collect a ton of numbers and then try to make conclusions from them, a lot of those statistical methods of analysis had really become set in place in the 1830s. We're not that far out from then at this mm. point. And so the idea that they would be in widespread, easy use by, you know, Wunderlich and all of his researchers that he must have had working with him. I mean, he couldn't have done all this alone. It's a lot of armpits for one. <laughs> this would be very difficult to do. Uh, and again, that's not me saying it's impossible. Clearly, people collected and analyzed data before they had a computer to do it. Um, but it would have been a, quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. And the idea that there is error in those numbers is not wild to think. Sure. You know, it's not it's not a stretch to say, eh, well, maybe maybe the results aren't quite as reliable as we thought, um, which is why by I mean, really, by the 1980s, people were starting to ask did we get this right Mm -hmm. is this really is 98.6 really the average body temperature um is 100.4 really a fever should we really trust this data or maybe since it's been a while should we check it check again check again let's Um, just check again and i think it's interesting because he was so committed to the scientific method and because he really did try to do the best he could with the tools and the instruments he had of the day, a lot of researchers were kind of daunted by the number of participants they'd have to have in a study to to confirm or deny the results. Right. I mean, he did 25,000 patients. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. And so there, a lot of researchers were kind of reluctant to tackle this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so we start see, to see smaller studies to try to reproduce these results uh, back in the 90s is when you, you first start to see people saying like, well, what's an easy place to start? I mean, like, let's take some temperatures and average amount and see where we're getting. And smaller groups of studies seem to indicate that eh, maybe 98.6 isn't completely accurate. And so the first thought was, well, maybe it was the instrument. Maybe thermometers are different. Maybe they're better now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm mean, certainly they're better now. So why don't we get that? Uh, thermometer from the Motor Museum and check it out. How? Well, we just get it and we measure some stuff with it. And we use a modern thermometer next to it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, right? And see how accurate it is. (sighs) Yeah. I guess, though, I would worry that, like, something has changed. I mean, it's very old at this point, right? It's a very old thermometer. I would worry that, like, something could have changed about the thermometer mm. itself what could have changed us and what what would it have been made of these the old mer- thermometers glass yeah the mercury got old in it well yes but the glass um, i mean the the glass is the thing here what well, i don't know it's glass bit. can change over time that's true because it's all sand contract. it's all hard sand there, moving around it's little good. grains of sand moving around you're thinking time. you're thinking more critically hmm This is a first. This is as close to a compliment as you get. I'm going to savor the moment. Please continue. I appreciate that you're thinking that way because that is exactly one of the thoughts. So so they did this. Let me start with they did this study. They took the the thermometer that they have at the Mütter Museum and they... um, 
in the 90s and some researchers used some like standardized temperature water baths. You know, we know exactly what temperature this water bath is. Mm -hmm. And let's measure it with this thermometer and we can compare to a modern thermometer and see how close we can get. And uh, the the old thermometer that Wunderlich would have used was uh, did measure higher consistently. They okay. found higher than the temperature. Okay. Um, so that was very interesting data. And so then some people said, well, I was just, that's the problem then. That's why we've had it wrong all these years. The because thermometers were wrong. The thermometers were wrong. And that seems to be an easy solution to the to this question. Now, what you said though is is true. A lot of researchers noted glass does change over time and the smallest change in the size of the bulb could change what the eventual result on the thermometer what the reading would be so this is a really old thermometer are we sure it wasn't more accurate you know a hundred years ago than it is now um but it did call some things into question so they so they continued to repeat studies throughout the later 90s and into the early 2000s um, on smaller groups of participants at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they consistently showed lower average temperatures than the 98.6. They consistently got, the first one was like 98.2, which is 36.8 was the average. Uh, and there was a more recent one that was 97.7. Mm. Um, and the, the most recent in uh, 2017 analyzed over 35,000 patients. It's a lot of temperature lot. readings. Yeah. It's like 250,000 temperature readings, I think. And they uh, they came out at 97.9. Wow, so pretty low. Yes. But considerably less. So so we're beginning to think like maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't just thermometer difference. Maybe uh, I don't know. Are humans getting colder? So that's that's one of the two questions. That's I think, not where I would jump to. I wouldn't think that is that. I mean, if you're if you have to keep an open mind, remember you have to ask the question. And the two questions that arose from this all this data, and I think I think one is the one that I am hearing asked uh, most frequently right now of me because of these news stories. The number one question is what is a fever. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that there are a lot of proponents of the uh, the so-called low-grade fever mm-hmm. who are now rejoicing in triumph. You just raised your eyebrows at me in a very challenging way. <laughs> all I'm saying is that if it's over 100, you're sick. That's all I'm saying. I, there are a lot of people who have for a long time contested that a 99 anything, 99 point literally anything degree fever degree temperature is a quote unquote low grade fever and we are taught in medicine that there is no such thing really as a low grade fever unless what you mean is 100.4 is the lowest possible fever so i guess that is a low grade fever as a, compared to 101 102 103 right. which would be a higher grade fever these really aren't distinctions though that have a clinical significance to mm-hmm. us. So like it's not it's not necessarily something that I'm going to base any decision making off of. Right. And we have always dismissed that like well 99 isn't a fever. So it doesn't it's not it's not it's a low grade nothing. It's just not a fever. Mm-hmm. Um however, based on these new numbers, in theory a fever would start around 99.5 mm-hmm. degrees Fahrenheit. And so then the question if, if is the different if the difference is the same. Yes. Consistent. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the question is uh have we been wrong? to use this cutoff for a fever. That's one big question that arises from this this kind of shift. Um, I would say that before, before everybody freaks out and starts checking their temperature and thinking about all the times that maybe they were sick and they- They didn't know it. And they didn't know it. Um, 
I, I would clarify, and this is an important point. The, the people who did this study, the researchers, the doctors who actually did this study are not proposing that we change any standard temperatures, guidelines, definitions, any normal ranges based on this study. They say that. They're not proposing that we change this. They're just gotta, saying this is interesting. We need to think about it. But I got you got to give it to these guys that <laughs> measured, you know, 35,000 different people at the end. They're like, hey, listen. This was a big waste of time. <laughs> don't don't do anything different. Just throw us in the trash. Or sorry, no. this is a big waste of time. <laughs> they're good scientists. Keep with your old, other your old thing. They're good scientists because they're saying this is compelling to know, but it, we don't necessarily know that it changes what we do as doctors. Like it changes maybe some things we knew about the human body, but does that should that change our medical practice? Well, we've used 100.4 as the cutoff for a clinically significant infection for a really long time now. And we've made it this far. Is that the argument? Like, we're, we've made it this well, far. We've, we've based our management strategies on this, right? Sure, right. And we don't really have any compelling data to suggest that if we have had been calling 99.5 a fever all these years, that we would have done anything different mm. or, or treated people differently or saved a life or prolonged a life or started in medicine sooner. I, you know, I mean, this, I, I, I think it's hard to make that kind of case because we've used that standard for so long. Mm. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just think it's to, to draw that conclusion from this study would be, I mean, completely out of that. That would be out of bounds. Okay. That would be a, a complete, um, over-exaggeration of what the data really says. Uh, a fever is a symptom. It is not dangerous. We know that the top ends, we still know like the temperatures that we need to worry about, right? Right. Like if you have a fever of 101, of course you're sick, but that, that 101 degree temperature is not going to harm your body. If you have a fever of 106, please get to the hospital immediately. Right. Yes, that is concerning. Those numbers haven't changed. And we still over-treat fevers as we talked about in our fever episode. There's just because you have a fever doesn't necessarily mean we have to do anything about it. Sure. About the fever itself. Right, right, right. Because it's a symptom. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I, I would say that does this change our understanding of a fever? Not in a huge clinically significant way. It's interesting. And certainly if you're feeling sick and your temperature is 99.5, maybe you're a little more inclined to take the day off, stay home and recuperate. Yeah. And you don't have to feel like you got to justify it with a temperature of 100.4 right. to you or your boss or anybody else. Um, but I would say that it doesn't really change a lot about what we understand about a fever. But the second question is really the more interesting one, because what if it is that, that we're getting colder? What if it isn't that the thermometers were wrong? Mm -hmm. What if the human colder. body has actually gotten colder? And the most recent study, the reason this is in the news is because of a study that was just published that looked at all this data from all these different from all these different studies and said can we can we figure out if humans are actually getting colder and it wasn't the thermometers and so researchers took data from like human temperature data that was collected between 1862 and 1930 yeah. another chunk that was collected from 1971 and 1975 and a third chunk that was collected from 2007 to 2017 and compared these three different data sets over time mm -hmm. and found that we are indeed trending downward in body temperature. That's wild. Why would that a, be? A steady downward trend 
in in body temperature. Why? Um, this was led by Dr. Julie Parsonette. Uh, and it was, I, I believe, the it was like every decade we go down like 0.05 degrees. Weird. Yeah. And uh, it was really interesting. And they, they found a way to control because they had like the data set, uh, the earliest one that was from 1862 to 1930. That's a pretty wide range. They could control from decade to decade, which removes a lot of the thermometer variability. Mm-hmm. And they still found the downward trend. That's so weird. So they really don't think it's a thermometer tech issue mm-hmm. it really appears to be based on this study it really appears to be that we are getting colder um and again they say the same thing we're not proposing that you change any guidelines please just continue doctors with your current standard of medical care it's, it's just the thing is we're all getting colder but everybody <laughs> just be if you'll pardon the pun chill about it if everybody could just calm down we got bigger problems right now you just happen to also be getting colder so why why are we getting colder Earth's getting hotter. We're balancing it out. Okay. Both of these things are true that we are getting colder and Earth. Well, we think that Earth, we know that Earth is getting hotter. We think that we are getting colder. However, that is not Mine's a not causal bad. relationship. You do have to. That is not You causal. have to ask the question. A wise woman once told me, you have to ask the question, Sydney. <laughs> yes. And I'm telling you, no, it is not. While the Earth is indeed getting warmer, it is not because the earth is getting warmer that humans may well be getting colder got it earth's getting warmer humans getting colder we are no relation we're in agreement (laughs) we're in agreement about this this well so the theory that uh dr parsonet puts forth in in the study and then the other researchers because we're not we're not sure but the theory is that back before we lived most of us in homes with temperature control and like regular hygiene and the ability to change our clothes mm-hmm. and, and wash ourselves and eat uh, food that isn't contaminated and get vaccines and all these different things. Mm-hmm. Back before all of that, humans were exposed to a lot more microbes on a regular basis. We were constantly being invaded by bacteria and viruses and fungi and parasites and all this. Mm-hmm. And so we always had this sort of baseline, maybe inflammatory cytokine release in our bodies. So if you took our temperatures, you were much more likely to find these elevated temperatures because we were always kind of hot because so our bodies were always in the midst of, of reacting to something. We had like a low level body was working over time with all these different bad invaders and now the the environment is doing a bit more of that for us yes i think it's a combination of less inflammation because of our environment and uh, temperature control because we most of us tend to live indoors now Mm -hmm. Um, and that the combination of of those things has just led us to be colder now we're just colder our temperature tends to be 97.9 around that it seems to be but something lower what does that mean for the future of humans i don't i mean i don't think anybody really knows i don't think it's necessarily no one is suggesting that it's detrimental or bad no one's saying anything about it it sounds like they're just saying we're getting colder (laughs) and everybody just go about your day And, and it won't continue forever i mean certainly everybody would assume it would level off at some point you would hope uh but But it seems like, and again, this is one study that indicates this, and it is always important. The reason I talk a lot about like the way that I approach a study, you can't every time you read a scientific study, even a really well done one, Mm -hmm. even one that I can't with with my little skeptic 
skeptic scope <laughs> poke holes in. This is available uh, at McElroyMerch.com, Sydney McElroy Skeptic Scope. <laughs> Even if even if it's a really well done study and it, and it's really like the evidence is really compelling that they have arrived at the conclusions are really compelling and the data supports them, um, one study cannot change a, a complete scientific paradigm. We cannot shift our entire understanding of a scientific principle of a medical principle of the human body of the world of the earth based on one study. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be reproducible. We have to continue to be able to see those same results when we check it again and again and again. Um, otherwise you could miss something. Otherwise there could have been a variable you, you didn't know about, something that confounded it. And so it's always important when you hear these things in the news, it's really interesting. Of course, everybody wants to hear about it and read about it. Fascinating. Right. What does it mean? We're Ooh. getting colder. Why? Uh-huh. Who Why? knows? Nobody knows. Uh, but it's, I would not, approach it with fear or trepidation it's interesting perhaps we've expanded our knowledge of the way the human body works the way we're constantly changing and evolving and adapting to our environment it's fascinating it's interesting we can incorporate it into our vast body of medical knowledge but it is nothing to fear it is nothing to like change your entire perception of what your body temperature and what your body's doing and what a fever is. And all right. And of course, any good scientist would tell you, we got to, we got to try it a few more times before we're sure about the results. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Sawbones. Hey, if you want to come see us live, you can do that. If you go to bit.ly forward slash 20 funny, you can uh, get tickets to see us in Cincinnati on February 19th, opening for my brother, my brother and me. There's a link to get tickets there. Act fast, though. Uh, those are running low. We have a book called The Sawbones Book, and you can pick it up at Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Uh, thanks to the Max Fund Network for letting us be a part of their extended podcasting family. And thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Uh, that is going to do it for us, though, for this week. So until next time. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Yeah. org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.